Well, I'll be your substitute teacher today. And uh, I know what we did in high school to our substitute teachers, so I'm just going to ask you to just take it easy on me today, okay? I'm excited to be here for a couple reasons. Uh, one of those is that me, along with the staff and several other people, have been able to partake in giving our senior pastors a much-needed and well-deserved break. Can we just give Tyler and Rachel a quick round of applause? Tyler, Rachel, we, we love you guys. We hope that you're recharging the batteries and excited to see you guys come back real soon. The other reason I'm excited to be here today is because it's an important day for Christians around the world. Today, June 9th, marks the day of Pentecost. And I'm going to talk about for, for a couple minutes what that is and why it's applicable to us today and why we should even care about it. You go all the way back into the Old Testament and Pentecost was also celebrated. They called it something different, but it was a celebration around one of the first harvests of the year. Fast forward into the New Testament and Jesus dies and rises from the dead and he comes back and for a 40-day period, he comes back and continues to teach the disciples, continue to preach to them before he actually ascends into heaven. And one of the messages that he was delivering during that 40-day time period was, oh, just wait. Because the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, will descend. I'm going to ascend to heaven. My Father's Spirit will descend here upon all believers. And that's significant. That's significant because when this occurred, there were 120 people. It says in the Bible that those were all the believers at the time. All 120. But by the end of, of this day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell and the church exploded to 3,000 on one day. 3,000 people were baptized. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. The other reason that that's significant is because if you look back through the Old Testament, God's Spirit would fall on the prophets, but it was temporary. His Spirit would fall on the prophets so they could then communicate God's message to His people. But it wasn't until Pentecost, a long time later, that God's Spirit would permanently fall on all believers. And that means me and you today. It says all that believe, God's Spirit now has the ability to live and be active inside of every single one of us. And that's something we got to celebrate. So today is, is the modern day's church's birthday as we know it. And what I'd like to do today is I'd, I'd like for all of us to pray. I'm going to lead us. But I want us to pray that, that we would continue to see the same revivals. Because the secret ingredient to any revival, it ain't going to happen without that Holy Spirit. Let's pray for that today. Join me right now. Heavenly Father, what a big day it is today. What an honor it is to be here today. Lord, we look back and in awe and amazement, we give you all the glory for everything that you have done. Lord, we ask that, that your spirit would be alive, that it would be active, that it would be present here in Mission Church, that it would be present and alive and well here in Walnut Creek across this whole region, Lord. Lord, we believe a revival is coming, and we know that we cannot do it in our own power, that we need your spirit to be here. So, Lord, we cannot wait. We're going to be here expectantly waiting for the things that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, the title of the message today is First Words. First Words. You ever stop and think about how important first words or first impressions are? It's regardless if it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation, if it's a group setting, 
But first words are really important. If you've ever taken any type of public speaking class or training, what they tell you is the first couple minutes are critical. You got to tell a story or tell a joke or do something unique so that you can really captivate the audience and relate to them. Because if you don't, you run the risk of losing your audience. I haven't been going that long, so hopefully you haven't lost any of you just yet. <laughs> so what they tell you is those first couple minutes are, 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 are really important. So Time Magazine ran a story in 2015. They, they, they wrote this story around a study that Microsoft did for a five-year study between the years of 2000 to 2005. And that study was put together to try to evaluate what the real attention span was. And the attention span that they found was through studying brain activity, EEGs, by sending out thousands of surveys to people over a five-year period. Here's what they found. The average attention span dropped from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. So 12 seconds didn't sound a lot to begin with, but when it dropped to 8, that's a, that's a whole other story. But to put it into perspective, they then looked at the attention span of a goldfish and found that it was 9 seconds. So you're welcome. Our attention spans are less than a goldfish. But the reason Microsoft ran the study is because they wanted to look at what the attention span was, and what they found was that because of the proliferation of, of so many devices and so many screens that, that we are all uh, glued to, that it's harder and harder for us to maintain our focus for any given period of time. Now, the good news, the glass half full, is that they said that we're getting better at multitasking. So, there you go. But the point is that those first couple minutes, those first couple words are so important. And I relate this back to, to the Bible, and I kicked off the year, and I was reading through the gospel messages, and I, it jumped at me that there was such a commonality between Jesus' first words and several other very important people, what those first words looked like. So I want to talk about that today. Let's, let's open your Bibles. We want to go to Luke chapter 4. And to set this up, Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit has, has descended on Jesus. He's then led into the wilderness. And he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. We pick it up in verse 14. It says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. There's the Holy Spirit again. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. That's a mic drop moment. Jesus was very intentional and purposeful in everything that he said. The words, the timing, everything. Jesus knew what he needed to do to captivate an audience. He knew how to get people's attention. And if you actually look even further, a lot of this is, is, is a big deal because it was the time that he stated that I am the Messiah. I'm here to fulfill what Isaiah the prophet had said, which was a big deal. And it captivated people for sure. It, it turned pretty quickly, went from positive to negative. But let's, let's go look because not only does he state why 
he was there, that he was the Messiah. It also states precisely what he came to do. Let's go look at the actual scripture in Isaiah that he read out of the scroll. I'm going to read out of the message translation. It says, the spirit of God, the master, is on me because God anointed me. What does he do first? The first thing he does is he points to the Father. He says, all of my authority, all of my power, everything I'm going to do in my ministry, the miraculous signs and wonders, it all comes from the Father. It's, it's, it's important that, that he, along with us and everything we do, is we point to God first. He continues on and he says, he sent me to preach good news to the poor. Good news to the poor. He came to preach the gospel message, the message of eternal life, salvation, one of the main reasons Jesus came. We keep going. Heal the brokenhearted. Healing, restoration was a big part of why Jesus came. What's he say next? Announce freedom to all captives. Notice he said all. And Jesus came for all of us. The one, he came for us all. And then he says, pardon all prisoners. I want to pause here for just a second because this word freedom is so important. Today's message is about freedom. That's what we're going to talk about today. And freedom gets thrown around so casually. In, in, in worship songs, we, we talk about breaking chains and, and being set free out of bondage and, and all these things. And it, 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 it's important. But I wonder how often we stop and think about practically what does that actually mean like to, to us on a daily, regular basis? What does freedom actually mean? Well, I think it means two things. I think it first means the ultimate freedom. Previously to Jesus coming, the penalty for sin was death. Jesus died on the cross and gave us freedom from that. So that's the ultimate sign of what freedom stands for. But it's also practically for us in our lives right now, currently. Jesus came to give us freedom for things that we struggle with. Depression, anxiety, guilt, shame, condemnation. And Jesus came and said, I'm not just coming to set you free for eternity. You don't have to struggle and live that way with those things in your life today. If you've ever been forgiven by someone or maybe God for something that you felt like you did not even deserve, how do people describe that? They describe that as, I just feel like this weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I feel light. I feel like I can breathe. That's the freedom that I'm talking about. And it's, it's also important that he went from freedom to the very next line saying, pardon all prisoners. Because what's another word for pardon? Forgiveness. So you make the connection here between freedom by way of forgiveness. Forgiveness is huge. But there's another step before that, which I'm going to get into right now. And this is the, the meat of the message, which is a call to repentance. It's repentance that leads to forgiveness, which leads to freedom. So today we're going to unpack a little bit about that. Freedom is the call, but how do we get there? It's by way of repentance. So again, going back to where this message came from, I'm reading through the Gospels, and we talked about how Jesus unrolled the scroll and made this big statement with all these people. Let's look specifically at what some of these first words looked like with Jesus and other people. In Matthew 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, In those days John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, 
Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. But it wasn't just John the Baptist that started his messages with that. In Matthew 4, 17, it says, From then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. But it wasn't just John the Baptist, and it wasn't just Jesus. In Mark chapter 6, it says, So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. But it didn't stop there. Peter, we talked about when Peter stepped forward during that vital day of Pentecost. What did he preach? It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance and forgiveness is the foundation for Jesus' call to freedom. It's a, it, it's a really big deal. But we got to spend some time talking about repentance and clearing the air on repentance because I don't know if, if you're like me, but when you heard the, hear the word repentance and you hear you being called to repent, uh, maybe it makes you cringe a little bit. I don't think it's a, it, it's a popular word, especially outside of deep Christian believers. When they hear the word repentance, it just, mm, maybe it hurts a little bit. Why is that? I think because uh, guilt, shame, and condemnation, there's an epidemic and it is a silent killer. I believe it takes people to a place of reminding them of all the things that they've done that they don't want anybody to know about, that they haven't forgiven themselves for. Guilt and shame are not the reason that we repent, and yet it's so often associated with it. So today, really what, what, what my prayer is, that, that we would understand the power and the gift of what repentance really stands for, and that it would set some people free. That's what we're going to do today. Amen? We just got back from uh, Disneyland. May and June have just been absolutely nuts. I'm sure everybody else feels that too. Between graduations, we have four birthdays in May, and then we mix in a trip to Disneyland on top of it. So we, we go to Disneyland, and um, we're on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Any, any fans? It's a good one. At least that's what I thought. Until I'm on the, the little car with my five-year-old, and we whip around a corner, and we see this guy. And it's this big judge, and he's towering over you, and he says, Guilty! Guilty. And he sends you to prison. And then you whip around the corner and you're in this inferno. It's hot in that part of the ride, is it not? And then you see this guy. That same judge. And then the ride's over. <laughs> and the kids are looking at me. I'm like, come on, kids. Let's go get a churro. There's, there's nothing a churro can't fix. Let's go. Come on. But I, I, I wonder if you can, I know, sorry, you can flip back to the, the other picture really quick. I wonder how many of us, this is our view of God at times. I wonder how many of us, this is where our mind goes when we hear the call to repent. This is not God. 
There's no way that we can embrace true repentance unless we understand God's nature behind it. The Bible's very clear. It says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's mercy that leads us to repentance. It's his grace that leads us to repentance. It's his forgiveness. It's his love that leads us to repentance. Don't let the enemy fool you into thinking that the guilt and shame and condemnation is there to make you repent, because it won't. You've got to understand God's heart behind the message. In Romans 8.1, it says, There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Does God hate sin? Absolutely. Are there consequences for sin? Sure. But you've got to understand that God's got loving arms extended wide, and he's given us this gift of repentance so we can break free. Don't let the enemy fool you into thinking otherwise. So for those that are taking notes, I got three points about repentance. Number one, you can uh, move off of, off of that. Let's, there we go. Let's. <laughs> Number one, repentance is a privilege. Repentance is a privilege. In Acts, when the gospel starts getting preached, the disciples go out and Jesus was a Jew and the Jews feel like this, this message, this gospel message is for us. We've already established that Jesus came for all. He came for everybody. And so this gospel message is getting preached to all the Gentiles, to all the Jews, anybody and everybody. So in Acts eleven eighteen 18, it says, when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege. Everyone say privilege. The privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. It is a privilege. But let's not ignore the last part about that sentence either. Repentance does require us to surrender. And it's an act of giving something to God. But don't forget it's also an act of receiving you can repent all day long, but if you can't receive that forgiveness, you ain't going to break free. you got to repent and give, and then you have got to receive. And why that is so important is because I think the hardest people to forgive sometimes is ourselves. So make sure it's a repentance plus receiving motion. And this whole concept of privilege, just to break it down and be real simple and practical, it's, a, it's an I get to not an I have to. It's an I get to. I have the opportunity to repent. Thank God I get a chance to repent. It's not an obligation. It is a true privilege. Number two, there's a difference between repentance and remorse. I'll say that again. There's a difference between repentance and remorse. Feeling a little bit of conviction is not necessarily a bad thing because at, at, at some point we have to have a little bit of a check and, and realize that maybe, you know, some of the things we're doing are, are not the right things and we, we need to turn away from those things. So a little bit of conviction is not necessarily a bad thing. It's when we don't move past remorse that we get ourselves in real trouble. Remorse leads to this endless guilt and shame cycle. It's a killer. Literally, we're going to look at it right now. 
And the visual, and, and really where this comes home is, is two of the disciples. Let's look at what repentance and remorse did with Judas and Peter, because there is a vast difference between how this played out with both of them. Peter and Judas were two of the disciples. These are the, the guys that are in Jesus' inner circle. Both betrayed Jesus in pretty big ways. I don't like to see other people mess up, but it does make me feel a little bit better that, hey, Jesus is the only one that walked the earth that was perfect. Nobody else, including the disciples. So they both had betrayal. How did it end for Judas? The Bible says he, he, was, he felt remorse. He was remorseful, but he never moved past it. He carried so much guilt and shame that he got stuck in remorse and he ended up taking his life. We got to get past that and complete what true repentance is really about. It's not just about feeling bad about something that you've done. There's more to it than that. And Peter shows us exactly what that's about. Jesus dies. Sorry, back up. Jesus is in the courtyard. And the time of Peter's betrayal, he publicly denied Jesus three times. The rooster rooster crowed. (laughs) The rooster crowed. They make eye contact, it says. And then Jesus goes off and is crucified. And Peter runs out of the courtyard weeping. He felt sorrow. But just imagine, we feel bad for some of the stuff that we've done. What if you publicly denied Jesus three times, and then that was the last time you saw him, and then he was crucified? If if, if anybody could have drowned in guilt and shame, it was Peter. But he didn't. It says, Jesus rose, they they rolled the, the stone away from the grave, The women saw, they came back to tell people about it. And Peter was one of the first to know and to hear. And what what was his reaction? Keep in mind the guilt, everything that he was carrying from what he had done. But what did he do? He ran. He ran to the tomb. Why would he run to the tomb? If, 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 If Jesus and God's character where the guy from Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, I find it hard to believe that Peter, struggling with so much guilt and shame, would sprint to go find what was going on. He ran to the tomb because he knew Jesus. He knew that he was full of grace and love and forgiveness and mercy and kindness. So he ran with a repentant heart. And then look at the rest of Peter's life. Jesus does have an encounter with him, and he asks him three times, do you love me? Peter denied him three times, and so Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. The Lord knows that he loved him. And then it's significant, isn't it, that out of all the disciples at that time in Acts, they're in the upper room, and Peter, of all people, is the one who steps forward to give the first sermon and preach the full end-to-end gospel. It's the same guy that not that long ago had just publicly denied Jesus. Because repentance, when it's done the right way, brings full restoration. It is a full restoration cycle. Enemy doesn't want you to know that. Today we're talking about the truth about repentance. 
So number one, we have repentance is a privilege. Number two is there's a difference between repentance and remorse. And number three is repentance is more than just words. Our, our, uh, our girls, two of them are here in the front row, were, uh, they get in arguments from time to time with each other. It's hard to believe, but they get a little sassy with mommy and daddy. So we need to apologize. Let's say it again. Say it until at least it sounds a little bit like they mean it. <laughs> Repentance is more than just words. Matthew chapter 3, what does John the Baptist say about this? He says, repent of your sins and what? Everyone say turn. And turn to God. More than just saying the words, it's you turn to God. In 3.8, he says, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. So here's the visual. God's here, and we're, we're walking, and maybe, maybe we are walking away from God. And the, the concept of repentance is not just, I'm sorry, because you can say you're sorry, and you can keep moving away from God because your actions show that you're continuing to move away from God. True repentance is this, I'm sorry, and you turn back to God, and you say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to be better. Lord, in my own strength and in my own power, I might not even be able to stop some of the things that I'm doing. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in, because God's Spirit inside of you, when you cry out in full repentance, that restoration comes because He takes over, and you will be surprised at the miracles that happen every day. Amen? Amen? Now we gotta, we gotta, we gotta turn back to God. But I want everyone to be careful because this is not a call to perfection. Repentance is not a call to perfection. Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin into the world, and we've all now inherited that sinful nature. God knows that. He's not calling you to be perfect. He is calling you to strive to live a godly life. Yes, He is. But he knows at certain times that we're striving to, to walk towards God and to, to live a godly life that we may step off, we may fall. That's why the gift of repentance is so important because he says, I forgive you, I wipe you clean, now get back on that road and continue walking. Come on. And repentance is more than just words. It's your actions too. All right, I, I'm, a, I'm a visual person, and so I thought we could have some fun with with some demonstrations, some visuals today. So let's, let's take a look at how we process, okay? So we're going through life, and like I said, maybe we're striving to do the right things. Maybe, maybe we're not. But, but we, we process, and I think a lot of times what we do is, is this happens, is, is this happens, and... And what do we do with that? I'll just, just file this away. Just, I'll, just, I'll just file it away. I'll forget about it. No one will know about it. We'll just file, it'll be safe. I'll just, I'll just file it away. And, you know, we keep living. We keep going, going through life, and, and it happens again, and we just keep doing the same thing, don't we? We just, we just keep filing. Man, these, I, I know I'm not living the right way, but I don't know what to do with these things, and It'll be safe right here. I'll just 
keep it there. We've been there? We've all been there. We think it's safe. The problem is it's not. That is not a safe place. Because here's what happens next. We have one of those days, and we creep back over here, and we open up the box, and... That was terrible. I can't believe I did that. Oh, man. Am I even a good person? How many times is this the way that we, that we process? Now, I've been here. I think we've all been here. But here's the good news is there's, there's another option. We take this and we cross over. That's what we do. We cross over and we say, I'm going to repent for this. I'm going to start living a different way. I'm going to turn to God. And we have another option where we come over here. And we store these over here. Now, it doesn't mean that it erases your memory. Does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that we're protected and we don't ever think about those things ever again. But here's the difference. You ready? Over here, we go back and we're constantly reminded and tormented and guilt and shame over here. Over here, God, I'm struggling. Son, why are you struggling? God, you, you know why. No, I don't. Because, let me, let me, God, let me remind you. Let me show you. It's, it's because of this, right? Right, right. Well, hold on. This, this one here was actually, this one was a bigger deal anyway. Let me, well, they're, they're here somewhere, Lord. I, 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 I know they, and God says, I keep no record of your wrongs. He keeps no record of your wrongs. The act of repentance is you give this to God, and while we might remember, he does not. The blood of Jesus has wiped you clean, and he says, I'm going to remind you of something else. You're a child of God. You're the apple of my eye. You are free. And in fact, son, I have a question for you. I forgave you. Why haven't you forgiven yourself? This, this is freedom. This is freedom, and all of us have an opportunity to get here and live here. And so the, the prayer today is that while we may be here, that we would cross over to living a free life and walking freely. Amen? Two other quick visuals, and I'm going to, worship team, give me just a couple minutes, and I'll, I'll call you up here. I want to go to the, the parting of the Red Sea, and let's, let's really visualize with this together, because this, in this context, is very powerful. Let's remember where this took place and the timing of this message. The timing of this event is uh, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for a long, long time. 
And then Pharaoh finally has had enough because the plagues come and he says, get out of here. And so they go. And imagine the feeling of the Israelites when they've been enslaved for so long and finally they're free until God says, I want you to turn back around. I want you to turn back around and I want you to go camp out on the banks on the shore, that big body of water over there. And the Israelites, can you imagine what they're thinking? Because God said, I'm going to go stir up Pharaoh's heart again. I'm going to send him after you so I can show my mighty power. But the Israelites are on the banks, and I could just imagine the anxiety of them. You know, I, you should have just left us in Egypt. At least we knew what we had there. I wonder how many of us sometimes have that same experience that we're struggling with something, and all we can see on one side is a huge body of water with no way over, and an enemy just collapsing in on you, and you feel like you're in the middle of a vice with no way out. I can relate to that. And what does God do next? He says to Moses, raise your hand, and you tell those people to make a move. God's not going to do it for you. And you got to take a step. You got to make a move. You want to get here to freedom. You got to make a move. You got to take a step. And so they do. But just think, think about the visual. This is a big body of water. It's not like it's all level ground. It's deep. So for them to part the water, what did they have to do first? They got to walk down. True repentance will not happen without a true humbling spirit. You have got to surrender yourself and humble yourself before God. Sometimes we got to get down before we can actually walk across and cross over. And what happens next? They're, they're, they're walking through. I like this visual because it's not a little stream. I mean, these are massive walls of water. And you got your enemy closing in with chariots and the full power that Pharaoh's got, and he's coming after you. And I wonder how many of us sometimes are in the middle of trying to process something. We've taken a step, and we just don't know if we can make it. I just, every, God, I just don't know. This is, I don't know if I can make it to the other side. I, there's, there's all this trouble surrounding me, and I, I, I just don't know. And, and what God says is at a certain point, you need to stop and realize you're walking on dry ground. They walked on dry ground all the way through that sea. There was no path and there was no way across, but God made a way. He made a way for the Israelites to get to the promised land and to get to freedom, and he will do the same thing for you. But sometimes, man, you're in the thick of it. You just got to stop and realize you are on dry ground. Amen? I invite the worship team to come on up. So I'm going to wrap up with this. You go back into the, the Old Testament and this whole concept of being wiped clean or forgiveness in general. 
wasn't new in the, the New Testament. It had new meaning behind it. But there was also a very important day back in the Old Testament. They had a lot of festival days, a, a lot of celebrations. Well, there was something called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a big, big day. There was rituals and, and sacrifices, and it was a day where everybody came together and, and they could be freed. They could, they could be cleansed of all their transgressions. At, at one point, they bring in a, a, a goat. They bring in two goats, actually. And they symbolically lay all their transgressions onto this goat, and then they send it out into the wilderness to symbolize that their, their sin and their transgressions had left them and was gone. The good news about repentance is it is not a once-a-year thing. And we have access to repentance as much as we need it. But here's the good part. Look at this word, atonement. It looks a lot like at one moment, doesn't it? And that's significant because at one moment, God can restore you. At one moment, God can heal you. At one moment, he can free you. At one moment, he can save you. At one moment. At one moment. My prayer today is that you would understand the true heart behind what repentance is. There's freedom behind it. 